Hi, and welcome to this Word in Season. Today we'll be hearing from Pastor Justin Naidu from Zoe Community Church in Johannesburg, South Africa. The Bible says God's Word is the seed for a bountiful harvest. We pray that you will flourish as you apply the principles in the Word of God. Many of us, when we hear the word holy, we think of an old man with a long beard in a white garment, sitting quietly in some monastery, living the life of a hermit. Holiness is not such. The scriptures clearly define holiness to us. If you don't like the word holy or holiness and all the school of words that go with it, words like sanctification, words like purity, words like cleanness, you will find yourself not gravitating towards God. Because God, in his word, says, speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall do holy. No, 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 no. You shall be holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. The word holy is the word kwadesh. It is to consecrate. It is to dedicate. It is to cut and to separate Now, there are several things that you have to cut and separate yourself from as a son of God. The place of separation in the Old Testament was a place that was called the threshing floor. And over the next few weeks, if you are faithful to be in the house of God, we will deal with several threshing floors. Let's bow for prayer. Father, this morning as your word is spoken... You've given us your word and your word sanctifies. So Lord, I thank you that you will sanctify us by your word. Even as we hear the word of God being spoken today, let the word of God sanctify and wash over each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. The threshing floor is the place of separation. It is a place where grain is separated from the chaff And the threshing floor is the place of divine discipline. It is a place of separation, flesh and spirit. Inaccuracy and accuracy, true and false. The threshing floor is a place of separation from unholiness and holiness. At the threshing floor of Aruna, great and mighty King David had to deal with certain things. Now the Bible speaks of several threshing floors. In the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 50, you had the threshing floor of Atad. Then you have the threshing floor of Nacon, the threshing floor of Aruna, and finally, God's threshing floor, which the Lord Jesus will speak to us about. But we want to deal with um, the threshing floor of Atad. In Genesis chapter 50, Jacob was in Egypt And he gives an instruction to Joseph, his son. He says to his son, Jacob, I don't want to be buried in Egypt. I want you to take me back to Canaan and I want you to lay me to rest in the cave of Machpelah with my father and my grandfather, with my father Isaac and my grandfather Abraham. The man is in Egypt, but he doesn't want to be off Egypt. Egypt is a picture of the world and worldliness. And as they journey, the Egyptians go with them. They leave Egypt. But Joseph, his brothers, they get to a place called the threshing floor of Atad, 
When they got to the threshing floor of Atad, the Egyptian and the Israelite were separated. Those that belonged to the world and the order of this world, they were separated from the sons of God. When you come to the threshing floor of Atad, you must be separated from worldliness. There is the world, the created cosmos, and there are systems of this world. There's the world and the inhabitants of this world, and there are systems of this world. And the Bible says, for God so loved the world, it means he loved the people of this world. But when he says, love not the world, he says, love not the belief systems, the constitution, the attitudes, the behavior of this world. So Jacob's sons were separated from the Egyptian at the threshing floor of Atad. Whatever the world does, the church should be doing the opposite. If you really want to be cut and separate, if I come into your home and I see the way you and I live, we should be living separate. If I come to your birthday party, whatever the birthday party is of a worldly person, I should see this opposite of you. We should not have weddings based on Hollywood. You should go back to the scriptures and find a template and a culture that represents a holy standard. The wedding day is a holy day. It should be the first day of the rest of your life. But where do we go? We go to Egypt and the cave of Machpelah. The word Machpelah, where Jacob wanted to be buried in the land of Canaan, Machpelah means double portion. Here's the same man who stole his brother's birthright and wanted the firstborn blessing of the double portion, wants to be buried in the place of double portion. Egypt doesn't have Machpelah. If you want double portion Machpelah, you must separate from the world. But this morning, I want to deal with the threshing floor of Aruna. At the threshing floor of Aruna, mighty King David has to deal with something that all of us have to deal with. It is called pride. Pride is an unholy attitude that distorts the image of God. And pride has got nothing to do with the car you drive, the job you have, the degrees you have. It is an internal configuration of your heart. In fact, most people who have absolutely nothing have the most pride. After the harvesting of the wheat, you will find that a threshing instrument or an ox would go over the wheat and they would tread out the grain. So the farmer would come with a shovel, he would take it and he would pick up the fresh grain and he would toss it into the air. The wind would then blow away the chaff, but the grain falls to the threshing floor. The chaff was separated from the wheat at the threshing floor. There's a mighty King David King David was anointed several times from his father's house to being anointed as king over Israel. David had multiple victories over a multitude of enemies. You can read 2 Samuel chapter 8. David experienced unbroken and unprecedented success as David reached the summit of opulence. As David came to the summit of success, David became proud. He looked at his success and he wanted to enumerate everything that he had. He wanted to count. He wanted to weigh his personal strength and David called for a census 
of all Israel and Judah. What did David do? David took his eyes off the Lord. He looked to his success and he began to number his people. David's pride manifested in numbering the people. Now it is not sinful to count the number of people that you have. Like, for example, we need to know how many communion emblems to prepare on a Sunday, how many chairs to put out. But when there is a constant preoccupation with numbers, that's when God has a problem. But more than that, historically in the Old Testament, there were two parts to conducting a census. There were two parts. The first one, it had to be mandated by God. The Old Testament has 613 laws. One of the laws was the law of census. And guess what? It's found in the book of Numbers. To count. So in Numbers chapter 1, verse number 1, the Bible says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tabernacle of meeting, on the first day and the second day after the after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, take a census of all the congregation by their families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names, every male individual. And then it says from 20 years old and above, who all were able to go to war in Israel. So God had to mandate the census, first part. Second part, when a census was taken, a ransom had to be received from the individual to atone for the counting. There's the mandate by God and then there's the ransom. That is found in Exodus chapter 30. But the ransom was paid because those who were counted did not belong to you. So you pay the ransom because you understood the people I'm counting do not belong to me. And the money that was received was used for the servicing of the tabernacle. Now David doesn't have a mandate from God and David doesn't pay the ransom. He's in violation of the law of census. When David made the census and by not paying the ransom, the tacit implication from David's part is that all the souls belong to me. You could only count that which belonged to you. The nation of Israel did not belong to King David. In fact, the book of Ezekiel 18.4 says, God says, all the souls are mine. Now we're coming to a threshing floor. And the threshing floor is a place of separation. What happened to this humble shepherd boy that was taken from the sheepfold and placed on the throne? This is a serious question. The thing that got to David was that David moved from stewardship to ownership. Everything you have, if you're a son of God, is not your own. You are a steward of every ran, of every cent, of every environment, of every job that you have. David shifted from stewardship to ownership. The nation was a holy nation. It belonged to God. David could now brag about all that he had. David lost the plot. He lost focus. David's reliance shifted from God to himself. If our successes are not submitted to God, 
it becomes entitlement. If our successes are not submitted to God, it becomes entitlement. Psalm 115, verse number one. Psalm 115, the same man, watch what he said in Psalm 115. Not unto us, not unto us, O Lord, but to your name give glory. That's what you need to do. Not unto us, not unto us, but to your name. You see, let him who boast, boast in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 10, 17. Be very quick when people try to praise you, validate you, say things about you. Be very quick to defer all the attention toward your father. The 21st century finds itself in the midst of a different plague as a result of all the believers who have had a lapse of faith. We have to examine what led David to this place? In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 29, the Bible says, So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah, fought against it, and took it. Then he took the king's crown from his head. Its weight was a talent of gold with precious stones, and it was set on David's head. Also, he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. David goes and he fights the Ammonites. One of the enemies, the Ammonites. When he fights the Ammonites, he's victorious against the Ammonites. And what does he do? As he wins the victory, he takes the Ammonite crown and he places it on his head. The moment David places the Ammonite crown on his head, he invited the Ammonite into his home. He invited Ammonite problems into his own house. Ammon, the person Ammon, was born through an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters. David took the Ammonite crown, places it on his head. Guess what happens in his own house? His daughter Tamar is violated by a half-brother. Observe carefully. The crowns you place on your head. As a son of God, there should only be one crown you aspire for, and that is the crown of thorns that pierces your mind. The moment that happened in David's kingdom, everything started to go downhill. David defeated the Ammonite. He was victorious. But instead of casting the crown at the feet of the Lord, he places it on his head. Don't become possessed by that which you defeat. It's a threshing floor. David was the man. He had all the trappings, he had all the trimmings of success. He was proud of his victories, his exploits. He was proud of his Ammonite crown. And that crown led him to conduct an unlawful census. Unholy, unlawful activity is rooted in pride. Let's take a silly example. If someone takes a Coke can and flings it out the window. When someone drives on the road and from the fourth lane, not here in Devon they do this, it's cut in. Unlawful activity is rooted in pride. 
You have a generation today that doesn't care about its environment, where it litters, what it does, because it is rooted in pride. I got news for you. A threshing floor is waiting for you. Pride opened the door for David to be tempted. And I want to say to us today, God resists the proud. And some people will say Satan was tempting David. Let's look at it. 1 Chronicles 21 and verse number 1. The census might have been a result of Satan. The Bible says now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Will I be correct in saying that David came under demonic influence? No matter how great your anointings were yesterday, my friend, you can come under a demonic influence when you have pride in your heart. By measuring his personal strength, David undermined the strength of God. The same man who spoke so vociferously against Goliath when he declared, you come to me with sword and spear, I come to you in the name of the Lord. Now he's trusting in his own strength. You see, when we measure our own personal strength, we undermine the strength of the Lord. Jeremiah 17 and verse 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Every day when you wake up, tell yourself that. Blessed is the man whose strength is in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. When you read the scriptures very closely, you will find that 70,000 people died when David conducted the census. 70,000 is a multiple of the number seven. And God rested on the seventh day. But 70,000 people died. Rest ended for David when pride settled in his heart. Unholy, prideful activity will move us from rest to unrest. David as a father, he became egocentric, he became selfish, he became childish and the people suffered. His family suffered. When fathers, when parents, mothers, both biological and spiritual, behave in an unholy and a prideful manner, it will affect the generations to follow. Get over yourself quickly before people die. Get over yourself quickly before our children and our children's children fall out of God's divine plan. I also wanted to address politicians from this message. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child. Ecclesiastes 10.16 Woe to you, O church. Woe to you, O South Africa, when your leader is wet behind his ears. Woe to you, family. Fathers, grow up. If you go to work at 6 a.m. in the morning, put a hard day's work in and come home 8 at night, nothing wrong with that. We have become so filled with pride in this generation and God has departed. You know what happened to David? Yeah, you are the king. You're sitting on your, on your high horse. Imagine you're watching before your eyes your nation being submerged into chaos. But this is the good thing about King David. He was convicted. Conviction brings inconvenience. Inconvenience. 
to a convenient life. Guys, I am not preaching a fire and brimstone shouting sermon. I am speaking to you with love. If there's no conviction in your heart this morning, you will continue to live the way you are. But if there is conviction, it will bring inconvenience to the way you live, the way you structure your life, the way you spend every rand, the way you spend every cent, the way you spend every moment, the things you watch, the things you do, the company you keep. You will want to shift away from unholiness. 2 Samuel 24 and verse 10. 70,000 people died. Before his eyes, his population is diminishing right in front of him. 2 Samuel 24, 10. And David's heart condemned him after he numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, what's the language of this man? But now, I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant for I have done very foolishly. I know we always speak of me, my and I, but look at the eyes there that's in that verse. David removed the pointing finger and he inverted the blame. One of the things that you got to do in terms of living a fasted life, Isaiah 58, is remove the pointing finger. There's too much of that in the house of God. When things go wrong and things go south, even in the marketplace, in the nation, when things go wrong in our family, we want to point the finger at someone else. But she said, and he did. But here's a man who has a conviction in his heart and he says, let me take full responsibility for what's going on. I spoke to a very experienced school teacher this week. You know, you know what the teacher said to me? When children mess up, 99% of the times it's a problem with parents. When things go wrong under your watch in your house, you better be careful parents because we could have just invited it in. The Holy Word and the Holy Spirit come to bring conviction and align us to God's eternal blueprint. What does David do? 2 Samuel 24 verse 17. The Bible says, Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel of the Lord who was striking the people. And he said, Surely I have sinned. I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and my father's house. Verse 18. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna. There it is, in the midst of the, the loss, in the midst of death. So David did according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. Now Aruna looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So David went out, bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Then Aruna said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. There is no curse without a cause. And Aruna said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look here, the oxen for burnt sacrifice, the threshing implements, the yokes. Verse 23, all these, O king, Aruna has given to the king. And Aruna said to the king, may the lord your God accept you. Then King David said to Aruna, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. 
So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels and David built there an altar to God and watch what he does. He offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. When you get to the place of separation, when you get to the threshing floor, there's certain things that need to take place. First thing, verse 17, David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel coming and he doesn't have a pity party. He acknowledged his failure. He took the blame and acknowledged this, that the people were more important than him. What we live today in a generation of self-importance. Even Goliath didn't kill so many people. It was not someone else's fault. It was not the people's fault. David's strength and his success got him to the place of numbering the people. He says, let your hand, I pray, be against me. Where is he making this prayer? At the threshing floor. At the threshing floor, he asked for punishment. During the place of pain, he is willing to accept punishment. The threshing floor removed all delusions from David, brought him back to reality. Today, I want us as a family, as a household, to have a reality check. You know why? what David realized? The flesh in his predecessor, King Saul, is the same flesh in me. This submission from David to acknowledge his failure, this submission to acknowledge his sin, brought healing to the land. You know, his, his ability to acknowledge his failure destroyed self-importance. You know the word sorry in South Africa, in our families? I hear it less and less. When we acknowledge we have failed, you destroy self-importance. At the threshing floor, David's kingship didn't deter him from repentance. At the threshing floor, David's kingship and position did not deter him from repentance. He sometimes, because of our position, because of what we have attained and where we are, we think it will be small of us to repent. We think, no, I'm not going to abase myself before my children. Let's start in the micro of our home. Some of us as parents, as fathers, you need to go back to your children and you need to repent. Oh, You need to sit down with them and say, I messed up. Sometimes even in the marketplace, be a strong leader and accept when things have gone south because of your bad decisions. Grace downloads take place when we humble ourselves. God uses humble, repentant people to be a part of what he is doing on the earth. God will use anyone so long as you posture yourself in humility. 
Moses was the most humble man in his generation. God used him. Hannah, God used her after even receiving a rebuke from Eli. Hezekiah humbled himself and broke the images in his father's house. Paul had great academic success, but he counted all of that as dung. You must have academic success. You know why you must have academic success? Because when you look at all of that, you can say dung. God gives grace to the humble. From Cornelius to Barnabas, from Baron Hannah to the prodigal son, their humility release grace. It all takes place at the threshing floor. At the threshing floor, David was seeking God's face. See, David had a burnt offering. He had a peace offering. David is worshipping. This is what I love about David. David is worshipping God in the midst of his punishment. Oh, we can worship God when the promotion comes. We can worship God when things are going right. But how about worshipping God in the midst of your punishment? And sometimes you wonder why God would look at David with so much of love, even generations later, and want to rebuild that tabernacle. He worshipped like Job when he had a whole load of boils. He worshipped like Paul and Silas in prison. This generation must stop playing the blame game. Holiness demands a deep inward introspection to the exclusion of all others. When you do an introspection, don't look at others, look at yourself. I must look at myself. You know, praising and worshipping God releases grace. Somebody should say amen. Praising and worshipping God is a posture of surrender. What David does is he buys the threshing floor and the most amazing thing is that he buys it at the same place where years earlier Abraham offered Isaac. The same place, the same location. That was a separating moment for Abraham. God said, now I know you fear me. Abraham, when he sacrificed his son, he called that sacrifice worship. It was at that location Abraham realized in Genesis 22 that he was a steward of his son and not the owner of his son. That's when he realized it. We have moved and migrated from stewardship to ownership. This was the same place where Solomon's temple was constructed and David didn't take it for free. This was not the EFF, everything for free. David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. When you offer a burnt offering, the entire animal is slaughtered and the blood is sprinkled on the altar because you know the life is in the blood. The animal except for the skin is burnt on the altar. So everything, all the flesh, all the entrails burnt on the altar. Simply showing us that there was total consecration to God. When David offered the burnt offering, he's saying, now Lord, total consecration to you. The threshing floor must bring us to the place of burnt offerings where we are totally consecrated to God. But we've lost it. 
Not just a day. God doesn't want Sunday. He wants every day. Every moment of your life consecrated. And that's what David was saying at the threshing floor. Now God, I'm coming back with a burnt offering. And he's saying my life is in you. My life is no longer in the success that I have. Then there was a peace offering. The burnt offering and the peace offering. In the peace offering, the animal is slaughtered. The blood is sprinkled on the altar. But watch what happens. So there's a man. He's got the offering. The blood is sprinkled. But the priest will hold up the hand of the offerer. He would have the breast and he would have the shoulder. And he would wave it before the Lord in a cross formation. So he would offer that to the Lord. And besides the breast and besides the shoulder and the blood, the offerer himself could eat the rest of the offering. It was the only offering that he could partake of and enjoy himself. But by offering the blood, by offering the breast, and by offering the shoulder, he's saying, my life is in you, my hope is in you, and my strength is in you. Saul did the opposite. Saul did not wait for Samuel to arrive to help him and to hold up his hand. What Saul was saying was, whilst I've put the blood on the altar, I realize that my life is in you, but my hope and my strength is in me. We have a lot of people in this generation whose hope and strength is in themselves. Separation brings us to the place of declaring it. My life is in you. My hope is in you. My strength is in you. Separation is costly. He didn't only pray. He didn't only seek God's face. He made restitution. Obedience is better than sacrifice. But obedience always demands sacrifice. You see, David was king. He could have used his influence to say, I'm taking this threshing floor. But he didn't use his influence to take it. Even Aruna offered him the floor for nothing, but he chose to pay for it. What's the principle? Separation is costly. Holiness is costly. The threshing floor was going to determine if the plague ended. Now watch what happens. You see, everything we do is seed. Whatever you do in this generation is seed. In 2 Chronicles chapter 3, the Bible says Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem where the Lord appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor. It was the threshing floor of Onan was actually Aruna. The same place that David offered his burnt offering and his peace offering, the same location that David bought, the temple is being constructed by Solomon the son. How one generation responds to the word of God determines how the next generation will live. David's sacrifice was the foundation for Solomon's promotion. Parents, don't be the cause for your children's demotion. There are things that we have now in our generation that previous generations only dreamt of. But they sacrificed. They sowed. They invested. 
Abraham only came to know God as Jehovah Jireh when he attempted to sacrifice his son. Let's look at this verse in closing. My first close, Luke 22 and verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Jesus is saying to Peter, Simon Peter, that Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. Now you've got to look at the sifting process when you understand what Jesus is saying to him. Because the ox treads out the grain, the farmer tosses the grain into the sky and into the air, the wind blows away the chaff. So you've got the blowing by the wind, the grain falls to the ground, and then you would get ladies who would come in later on, and what they would do is they would use a sieve, and they would shake off all the particles. So there's the blowing by the wind, there's the shaking, and then after that, they would further pick out all the stone particles. So you have the blowing by the wind, you have the shaking on the sieve, and you have the picking. And here, Jesus said, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. Simon Peter went through the sifting process. He went through the sifting process because he was shaken when he denied the Lord Jesus three times. He showed that he was blown by the wind when he went back fishing. And he was picked out and called out by Paul for his prejudice to the Jews. Satan desired Peter. And if Satan desired Peter, you and I are no different. What was the attraction? The attraction by Satan to Peter was dust. The serpent feeds off dust. Simon Peter became dusty. Dust is the diet of the serpent. And Peter's dust was his pride. You know why Peter asked the question in Luke 22, Who is the greatest? How are we going to deal with it? I'll tell you how we're going to deal with it. Humble yourself. James 4, 6. In fact, the subheading that James wrote here was humility cures worldliness. James 4, 6. This is what it says. But he gives more grace. You know what grace is? Grace is divine enablement. It's not just saving grace. It's also dominion grace. Grace will cause you to break through like never before. God gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God Resist the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now the keys to accessing this grace comes in. Verse number seven. Therefore, submit to God. Number one, submit to God. We in this generation think submission is suppression. But the word that's originally used in the Greek is hupotasso. Submission simply means to live under divine arrangement. So when the Bible says wives submit to your own husbands, it is saying live under divine arrangement. When it says submit to the governing authorities, live under arrangement. Children obey your parents, submit to your parents. That is living under God's order. Break it and see what happens. Violate it. Listen, we have people who are teachers here. 30 years ago or 20 years ago even, when you spoke to some of the kids, one time, listen, yes sir, yes ma'am, done and dusted. Today, they will give you a lecture and try and present to you a scientific view of why H2O is not water.
submit to God. Submit to those that God has placed over your lives. Few days ago, Mal and I had a conversation with a young lady. We pleaded with her seven years ago not to marry that fellow. We pleaded with her. I won't tell you the story today. Submit to God. Submit to the authority. Submit to your parents. In doing so, you resist the devil. It's there. Resist the devil. And then he says to you, "Resist the devil; you will flee from you." Verse eight says, "Draw near to God." You came to this gathering today. It is a step of drawing near to God. Drawing near to Christ means drawing near to His body. It means drawing near to to those who carry grace. Then it says, "This is how you're going to do it: cleanse your hands, you sinners; purify your hearts, you double-minded; clean hands, pure hearts, and then come before God like King David." In verse nine, it tell you with weeping and with mourning. I pray God has spoken to us today at the threshing floor of Aruna to separate from pride. Don't let success become your biggest vice, but use everything for the glory of God. May God's grace be imparted to every one of us. It's a good place to give your pastor a nice round of applause. <clears throat> Is that okay? It's been so great having you with us. We'd love to meet you in person at our Sunday services. Please feel free to join us at 9 a.m. at 43 Lotus Street, Gallo Manor, Santon. If you'd like to access any of our free resources, get more information, or sow a seed into our ministry, please visit our website on www.lifecom.co.za. That's www. dot l i f e c o double m dot c o dot z a. You can also subscribe to Pastor Justin Naidu on YouTube or find Zoe Community on Facebook and Instagram. Grace and blessings to you.